0: I want to tell you about the summer volunteer project real quick and that is an opportunity for you to help us out during the summer. So during the summer we see a lot of people coming and going and we have a a lot of vacancies that end up happening within our children's ministry. And so we have one of these cards and we have one of these cards that you can pick up and you can pick that up at our next steps area. If also you look up there you can see that you can text kids men 247 to 555-888. If you're somebody you'd be willing to give us a week, a month, for both June and July, and give us a week, a month, where you would say, I'll volunteer for one service during that time to help out our kids' ministry. And if you would do that, that would really help us out. And I know Dave would really appreciate that. Well, listen, we started this series last week called The Chase, and as we started this series, The Chase, I said we're going to be looking at two different guys throughout the Old Testament, and we're going to look at these two different guys, these first two kings of Israel, and what we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to discover some things about who God is, how God chases us, and how we should be chasing Him, because see, The Chase is about being this mutual pursuit, that God is chasing us and we are chasing Him. But, but if you're like me, then, then you're somebody that, that you get a little distracted and you go, you know what, I, it's so easy to chase the, the blessings of God instead of chasing trying to spend time with Him. That, that, that we're just guilty of going, hey God, what do you have for me? What can you give me? What can you do for me? And, and that we get a little distracted in life and that that's what we do and it's so easy to get to that place in life. Sometimes we just chase the things that that pull us away from God. And as we chase the things that pull us away from God, it makes our hearts grow hard. It makes them grow hard to God and who God is and what God wants for us. So we need to to have a heart that pleases God. And that we need to know what that is and what is a heart that pleases God. What is it that we need to do to make sure that we keep our heart in a place that our heart is going to please God? And a heart that pleases God, it's a humble heart. It's a heart that says, I'm humble before you, God. You're going to get the credit and whatever you want to do. A heart that is willing, that says, okay, God, not only are you going to inform me of your instruction, whether it's from his word or through prayer time, and he just instructs, we're going, hey, because, because I hear that, I'm not just informed, I am willing, that I am surrendered. That that means, hey, I really desire to do this, but God, you want me to do something different? Okay, well, I am surrendered, so I will do what you desire For me to do. And we were looking at this life of Saul. And I'll catch us up on that a little bit later. Today we're going to talk about improbable victory. Improbable victory. I want to take us all back to to 1994. Because in 1994 there were two improbable victories that stand out to me. Maybe one that stands out to you. See, in 1994, I got to exchange vows with Cheryl, the love of my life. And and it was our our wedding day. And and that was an improbable victory for me. And you're going, why why is that? Well, if you only knew our story, about six months earlier, she was ready to pen me a little Dear John letter. (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm done with you. It was was nice knowing you. And so I, I had to win her back. And so, yes, it was this improbable victory when we actually got to exchange our vows and enter into this covenant relationship together. That one, yeah, yeah, I don't expect you to know much about. But then there is another one that happened in August. And it was August of 1994. And in August of 1994, the matchup was between George Foreman and Michael Murr. And... and, and you might be a millennial in here, and you might be going, George Foreman, that, that, that sounds a little familiar, because your mama would grill on a George Foreman grill and cook you some food. That's why you're going, hey, oh, yeah, yeah, George Foreman. Well, before he was the indoor grill master, that he was a boxer, and he wasn't just any boxer, but, but he was known as the punch and preacher, because he had a strong faith in Christ, but yet he was a boxer, and he had challenged Michael Murr to the heavyweight championship battle. He had retired years earlier, and it was an improbable victory. And the reason is because Foreman was days away from turning 46 years old, entering into a boxing ring to take on somebody living in their prime, the current reigning heavyweight champion, Michael Murr who was 26 years young, fit, and ready to go. And, and in this battle, it, it was so improbable, everybody expected Foreman to go down. He was no way would he win. But Foreman, in the 10th round, landed one perfectly placed punch right on the chin, and murr went down. And with that, Foreman became a victor, an improbable victor, that that he's actually, he's the only heavyweight champion that has ever regained the title 20 years after losing it. 20 years after losing it. He is also the only boxer who has beat somebody in a title match more than 19 years younger than himself, It was an improbable victory. And we're going to be looking at the improbable victory, another one, that's another fight that ends up taking place. And, and this fight is a fight that you're probably going to be familiar with, that you will have heard of before. And it is this fight between David and Goliath. So last week as we looked at the chase and we looked at this idea of a heart for God, that we looked at this guy named Saul, who was the very first king of Israel. Now Israel was begging God, God give us king, God give us king. We want a king, we deserve a king. Why don't we have a king? Every other nation has a king, why don't we have a king? And God wanted them to recognize that he is the only king that they need. But because they refused to see this, they wanted a king in the flesh. They wanted a king that they could show off. They wanted a king that they could point to. That God finally gave in and said, okay, I'm going to allow you to have a king. And he used a guy named Samuel who was a prophet, a judge. And he says, I want you to go and anoint Saul to be king because every king of Israel would be anointed. And I want you to go and anoint him, anoint him with oil. And it was symbolic of God's blessing coming over their life. It was a conditional blessing. And that conditional blessing was, as long as you follow me, as long as you are true to me, that I'm going to bless you, that I'm going to lead you, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to fight for you. But as we looked last week, we saw that Saul's heart became hard. And he no longer had a heart that was humble, that was willing, or surrendered to God. You might be here today, and and you're checking out church for the first time, and you're going to be going, man, of all the times to come, I'm going to hear the same thing that I've already heard before, because I've never even been to church, and I know about David and Goliath. Well, I think it's going to be a great day for you, because you're going to get a little more details than maybe you haven't known before, and you're going to see, how does that apply to your everyday life? What, What is it that we need to learn? What is it that we need to do? Based on having this chase that we would chase after God who is chasing after us. And how can we begin to experience some improbable victories in our life? Because what we're going to do is we're going to see this man named David. Who was really a boy at the time. That had this incredible trust in God. And with the incredible trust that he had in God, he was willing to face impossible odds. So most of us, we do, we get introduced to David with the story of David and Goliath, and that's how we get introduced to him. However, Scripture introduces us to him before that. We don't get much, but we get introduced to him before this. And scripture introduces us in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and, and as we get introduced to him, God has already said to Samuel, I'm, I'm done with Saul, and I want you to go and anoint the person that is going to be the next king. And so I want you to go and go to Jesse's house. He tells him where to go and, and what he needs to do. And this is where scripture introduces us to David. And it's shortly after this that we get to see David on the battlefront. So let's look at this battlefront and some of the pieces of this. We're going to be looking in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to start in verse 3. The Philistines, they, they had mustered up their army, and and, and they would come, and they they would stand on the ridge, they would overlook this valley, and and they kept showing up day after day after day, and they wanted to fight the Israelites, that they wanted to do this, and so what would happen in this day is there would be many times when there would be a a mercy fight, and this mercy fight would be, hey, we're just going to pick somebody from our side, you pick somebody from your side, all of our men don't have to die, and we're just going to put these two facing off to each other. And whoever is the victor, it can happen with just shedding the blood of just one person. So the Philistines offered their mercy fight. And yeah, it was like, oh, mercy. <laughs> because when the guy came out that was standing nearly 10 feet tall, They were like, uh, yeah, oh, mercy. So let's look at this, starting in verse 3. So the Philistines and the Israelites, they faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, he came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over 9 feet tall. If you start digging in, you'll find that he was about 9 feet 9 inches tall. He wore a bronze helmet. And his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. I remember the first time I taught this passage, I weighed less (laughs) than his armor. 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam and tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. When that thing hit, boom, what, it was just going to force and keep going. This was his spear. And his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Because he carried the shield. I could only imagine how big and bruteful the guy carrying the shield of Goliath. I think that I would have been afraid of that guy. I'd have been, I, I, don't, I don't want to face that guy. I mean, that guy was probably like close to seven feet tall and just built, and he was just carrying this. But, but he's going, I, I'll protect, I'll protect Goliath. And so that is what we are seeing. And as we see this, he arrives on the scene. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul, Choose one man to come down here and fight me. Just one. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. This had happened for days. That he would come out. And he would repeat this taunt. And nobody from the Israelite army would say, I'll fight. I'll take him on. It got to the point where Saul said, whoever goes up and fights him, if you win, I will give you my daughter in marriage. And you won't have to pay any taxes the rest of your life that he was bribing, doing whatever he could do to try to get somebody to step up and to go face Goliath. But nobody was facing him. This man named Jesse, who's the father of David, after David had been anointed king, he isn't king yet, but he's been anointed to become king, he sent him to go check on his brothers because some of his brothers we're in the army for Saul. Go check on him. Take them some of this food, these provisions. And it's here, as David does this, that he hears about Goliath. And as he hears about Goliath, he wants to stand up to him. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11, look. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified. And deeply shaken. You remember, remember what, what, what Goliath said? He said, send me a man. But because no man was willing to go and face him, God sent a boy to face him. See, a man wasn't willing to do what God wanted a man to do. And so he picked a boy to go and fight his battle. See, the problem with Saul and the army, the problem was when sizing Goliath, they failed to size God, right? They, they looked at, and they could see this giant Goliath, they, they, they sized him, but they failed to size God and see how big God is. Saul and his army, they were afraid because they looked at the outward appearance, and as they looked at that outward appearance of Goliath, they couldn't imagine being victorious. And so day after day, nobody would step up to the fight. So what we need to know is when the opposition is a giant, and that giant is what you are facing, and you don't see an equal or greater force, it's easy to feel defeated. There is a giant. I don't see an equal or greater force going up against that. It's easy to feel defeated. Have have you ever faced a a giant thing, a giant obstacle in life? Have you ever faced that? And when you face that, you go, how could God let this happen? If you're like me, you have. That that we face this incredible obstacle, and it just seems unsurmountable. And, And we look at that, we're like, God. How could you let that happen? How could you let this take place? Why is it that this is in my way? And I think it's very possible that this was some thoughts that was going on here. And sometimes we wonder what God is up to. And we look for short-sighted answers. But God has long-range plans. Right? that we're looking for these short-sighted answers. We, we want to know immediately what, what, what is the value of this? Why is this going to happen? And we can't see it. We're so short-sighted in what we're looking for. But that giant obstacle, God in his long-range plan, he's up to something. And so, yes, we can ask why. Why, God, why would you allow this giant obstacle to be in my way? But if you ask that question, be patient enough to look for the long-sighted answer, not the short-sighted one. As we get introduced to David, I want to back up and I want us to see this in chapter 16. that, That in chapter 16, God has already told Samuel in chapter 15... He told him to stop mourning over Saul. He was weeping and mourning because Saul was no longer going to be able to remain king and that that he wasn't going to have a lineage of king. And Saul was mourning, and God told Samuel, Stop mourning, and I want you to get up and go and anoint the next king. So he told him what he needed to do, how he needed to do this. And as he's being told, he's like, "Uh, But if I go do that, then then Saul's going to hear and, and catch wind, and he's going to kill me. So he gave him some things and he said, well, just take this and take this little heifer with you. And you're just going to say that you're going to be go and you're going to worship me and you're going to make a sacrifice to me. But he told him where to go. He needed to go to this little city called Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, I want you to go and find a man named Jesse because one of his sons is the one that I'm going to anoint. So we're going to pick this up in verse 6. 1 Samuel 16 Verse 6, because when they arrived, he had invited Jesse and his sons. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eli and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He would already seen Saul, and Saul was handsome, and he was well-built, and, and he was the kind of guy that, that people just go, oh, I like that king. The women's heart would melt for him. And he's looking at Eli, and he's going, okay, this, this must be the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. Now, he's rejected him as king. He hasn't rejected them as a whole person. He's just saying, no, I've rejected, that's not going to be the next king of Israel. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks beyond the shell, and he looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab, To step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimei. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. In other words, he's just a lowly shepherd. He's young. He hasn't paid his dues yet. And, and, and he's just a lowly shepherd. So I didn't bother inviting him. He, he, I, I didn't send for him. I, I knew that you wouldn't even be interested in this one. Send for him At once is what he wanted. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. There's this feast in front of them. But we're not eating until this one comes. Verse 12. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance like you and I do. He looked at the heart and he said, this is the one that I have chosen. David was now the anointed one. That he anoints him. and, And as Samuel anoints him, he now has God's blessing over him. And now that he has the blessing, God has withdrawn his blessing from Saul. And not only has he withdrawn it, if we go back a little bit, we'd read how God actually sent a tormenting spirit to Saul. So now not only does he not have the blessing of God, somehow, some way, God has said, I'm sending a tormenting spirit to him. Saul, in this moment, believed that Goliath would have victory over the Israelites that that he's petrified he is terrified but as David had arrived on the scene David believed that God would give him victory over Goliath that what we see in this life is David's faith in God was greater than Saul's fear of Goliath did you get that David's faith in God was greater than Saul's fear of Goliath and and for David it was just simple God's greater than Goliath. What is there to fear? God is greater than that giant. What is there to fear? And so let's get back to the battlefront. David showed up and he volunteers to take on Goliath. Now his brothers were missing a few details here and they're mad that he's shown up and they think that he's just there because he just wants to kind of look and see all the blood and the spoils. And but David's there and his brothers don't volunteer. But he does. And he volunteers to step into the battle. Let's pick this up. Chapter 17, starting in verse 32. David told this to Saul. He says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. David's still a boy. By looking up a little bit to Saul. Don't worry about this Philistine. Philistine. And Saul's looking down at him and going, "Uh, Boy, I don't know who you think you are to be telling the king not to worry about this when you're looking up at me and I'm looking down at you. And David just follows and he goes, I'll go fight him. I I, I don't know what kind of response that he truly had in in the moment. Was it laughter? I I don't know, but I know what he says because it's recorded right here. Don't be ridiculous. Because that's the most ridiculous idea, boy, for you to go fight this giant. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. It wasn't that there's no way you can fight him and win. There's not even a way that you could possibly win if you go to fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth see David. David's part of the chase. David can see how God is chasing him, and David is chasing out. They are pursuing each other, and David sees what God is up to. Verse 34, but David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death." You catch this? Here's a boy, and when one of his sheep gets taken by a lion or a bear, instead of him going, darn it, lost one. Glad the rest of you guys are safe, so let him go. He's like, no, 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 no. That's one of mine, I'm responsible for that. And he would go after a lion. He would go after a bear. And he would rescue his sheep. Verse 36, I have done this to both lions and bears, plural, more than one occasion. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. See, for David, it was all about perspective. Perspective. For it was all about perspective. It was all about knowing who he... He didn't just defy Saul. He didn't just defy the Israel. He defied the armies of the what? Of the living God. And that's what David focused on. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. What David had in this moment was something that we all need to have, and you only get it. In the chase. And what he had was confidence. Godfidence. Now, not just confidence, but he had confidence. What, what God is going to be able to do, I completely trust in and believe in. Have you ever wondered why David wasn't intimidated by this giant? Have you ever wondered this? Because if you have, it should teach us something about our faith. And this is what it should teach us, that the greater your faith in God is, the smaller your obstacles you face become. Think about that. The greater your faith in God is, the smaller the obstacles you face become. And so with David, he he measures the size of his obstacles. He does this by the stature of his faith. And what he saw, he was just kind of blinking and thinking, looking at what's going on. And as he's blinking and thinking, he says, the only giant in my life is God. And he'll take on that runt right over there called Goliath. That's how strong his faith was. That what David's faith does, David's faith, it shrunk the giant. David's faith, it it shrunk the giant down to a manageable size because of the trust that he had in God, that he could see so easily, see so clearly. God's going to be victorious over that one. And because none of you are willing to step up and do it, I've volunteered, and God is going to grant the victory. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. It was like, (laughs) nobody else is willing to go. And so, sure, go. We'll see what happens after he defeats you. Just go. And so we get a look and we get to see this improbable Victory. I think if this is a fight that would have been promoted, it would have been a fight that would have been promoted like seasoned warrior versus sheep watcher. I mean, that, that, that would have been the headline. That, that would have been how they would have built this thing. Is this seasoned warrior versus this shepherd watcher? The, the most improbable fight of all time. Let's jump to verse 45. David's out there and he's facing. Goliath, David replied to the Philistine. He says, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. See, a heart that pleases God is a heart that is humble, that it doesn't care that God's going to get the victory. It gladly gives God the credit for the victory and David has this humble heart. Verse 47, And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Earlier, what David had done, he had went and found some stones, put them in his pouch, because he had a sling, a slingshot. And and he, and he picked out stones, and, and now he's ready to go up and face off against Goliath Saul to try to put all of his armor on David and David's like this is swallowing me I can't fight this way I need to fight the way that I know how to fight and so now he goes and he faces Goliath and as he reaches into that bag pulls out that stone and he takes that sling and then he launches it and as he launches it it hits him in the forehead but scripture is pretty clear what happens That the stone actually sinks into his forehead. It didn't just hit him and bounce. It went in. That that, that God just kind of got right behind that stone and went boop. And that extra force just came right along and just went right in. And he fell to the ground. And David went over. Because Goliath hadn't even unsheathed his sword he's still just kind of moving toward David and he pulls out that sword and he cuts off his head. he was victorious verse 51 when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead they turned and ran it was an improbable victory there was like how could this have happened faith will either falter or flourish. As you and I live our lives, our faith, it's either going to falter, it's going to waver, it's going to shrink back, or it's going to flourish, it's going to grow, it's going to step up. It's either going to work for us or against us. And the more that you know God, the more that you know God through the pages of Scripture, the more that you know God through the practice of, a prayer. And the more that you know God through the participation in praise, the more your faith will flourish. That if you want to have a, a faith that's not faltering, what do you need to do? You need to get in the pages of Scripture regularly, daily. That, that, that you need to be seeking God in prayer, not just for him to be blessing you, but for you also to be seeking God What is it you want from me? Lead me, guide me, show me. For you to be somebody that you keep giving your praise to him through the good times and through the bad, your faith will flourish at this. David was victorious, but he gave the credit to God. He didn't try to take it for himself. But you know what he did with that credit? He actually gave God the credit in advance. He, he told Goliath and everybody present what God was going to do. And God got the credit. You know what God does? That, that, that God, he humbles the proud, and that's what he did to Saul. But he exalts the humbled. And that's what happened with David. Is that He exalted him, he had anointed him, and he would become the next king of Israel. And David, if you don't know this, is the most loved human king that Israel ever had. The most loved. When facing our giants, we usually forget what we should remember, don't we? We usually forget what we should remember, and we remember what we ought to forget. That's what happens with us. You know what we remember? Remember? We remember the defeats. We we remember the failures. We remember our inadequacies. We remember that that we didn't trust God enough. See, we usually remember what we ought to forget. And we forget what we ought to remember. We forget God's victories even against all odds. We forget the capability that God has. We forget that when we're faithful and when we're honoring Him, that God's going to fight our battles for us. Most of us, we we can recite our own specific failures. We can recite them. We, we, We remember them. But we have a hard time calling up the victories that God has given us in life. So let's not be the ones that when we face a giant that we end up forgetting what we should remember and we remember what we ought to forget. Keep God's victories in mind and it will inspire you to have your best chase. When you keep God's victories in mind, it inspires you to have your best chase. As you chase, you pursue God who is pursuing you. I want to ask you a question. Which do you experience more? Do you experience it more often that that giant obstacles make your faith shrink? Or do what you experience more, does it when you look at your giant faith that makes obstacles shrink? Because something's going to shrink and something's going to grow. And if you let your faith do the growing, the giant obstacles are going to be what's going to be shrinking. This is what David experienced. And it gave him an improbable victory. And you and I, when we put our faith and our trust in God and we have a willingness, we're willing to follow where he leads, we're going to see the giants fall. Pray with me. God, thank you that we don't have to be afraid of giants. When we face them, that we don't have to be afraid of them, and God, we can trust you to, to be the miracle one that's going to do the impossible, and you're going to work against all odds. God, I pray that our faith wouldn't be one that would falter. God, we all are facing giants. We all have these giants and these huge obstacles that, that they just want to make our faith shake. But I pray that we wouldn't be ones that, that would cower back and our faith would shake, but instead, God, that we would lean into you, and because of that, it's not our faith that does the shaking, but it's the obstacle that begins to shake, because it knows that God, you're the one fighting our battles. Jesus, it's in your name we pray.